0: Hey friends, my name's Stevie Taylor. Welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. So uh, thank you for tuning into this episode. Um, if it's your first time here, I hope you dig it. Uh, there's plenty of previous episodes that you can go back and check out also if you if you like this one. Um, some great stories of some, uh, you know, really, really cool people. Just hit the subscribe button and scroll back through and uh, yeah, you'll, you'll definitely find something there that you like. If you're returning for more, well... You're awesome. Thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate it. You can leave a review via the uh, Apple Podcast app or the Podbean app. You can also contact me via the socials on Facebook um, and Instagram. My handle is at thegiglifepodcast. Um, or you can email me thegiglifepodcast at gmail.com. And, um, yeah, just tell me what you think of the show and, and um, maybe suggest some future guests um, if you can think of anybody. Um, if you haven't already, please subscribe, share, share, Tell your friends, or just keep on enjoying it. Um, In the meantime, hope you enjoy this episode. Cheers. My guest today is Metania Marin From growing up in Fakatani, New Zealand Touring the country in bands A record deal at 16 A shonky publishing deal that was designed to block her out of her own music rights for 13 years Um, Moving to Australia and and then hustling for gigs uh, just to pay the rent Um, These days she's stepped back a bit from the light performing To focus her creative energy into uh, songwriting, composing um, with published tracks now all over the world. A really cool story with some some hard lessons in there so um, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for Medania Morin. Cheers. rolling medineer welcome to the gig Life podcast
1: oh thank you for having me
0: happy new year and merry christmas and all that sort of stuff and,
1: yeah it's um, been good
0: and it's your last day of holidays today eh? my
1: last day of holidays yep. and then back to the grindstone back tomorrow
0: to the grind, yeah. did you um did you get to play any gigs and stuff over the
1: over the over the, well, my situation i mean i used to gig quite heavily and yep. that was my main income yep. for you know the first 25 years of my working life. Yep. Um, but about 7 years ago I made a decision to go and work in the resettlement and refugee sector. Oh,
2: okay.
1: And and I continue to work um, in that sector however and so because of that it's kind of nice to have that regular payday. Yeah. Which is different um, different setup than when you got when you're gigging and you're chasing invoices and a hustling hustle, and yeah, but it also um, it's been a bit of an upskill situation. Yep. Um, but I've continued to work on a number of musical projects, and so what I do now, instead of doing local Sydney gigs like I used to, I just sort of pick and choose and uh, cool. and I make sure that I'm creatively invested in yep. any project that I yeah, that's take good. on board now.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's good. That's good. That's yeah. Awesome. But um, so over this period. Uh, just before Christmas, there's a work called Barefoot Brothers that's in development. It's a theatre project. Yep, um, with some amazing uh, people involved: Radical Sun, Declan Kelly, and a few of those other types. Is this people.
0: related to Barefoot Divas at all?
1: It is related. It's like they've got they're developing a male. Version. Oh, I won't right. go into it you. too yep, much because sure. it's still in development. Uh, okay, awesome. yep. But um, maybe we
0: can talk about the barefoot divas. Yeah, I consulted.
1: a little. I did a, some session, a session with them, consulting on the development of that work. Um, yeah, I've been in the studio a bit, yep. writing, That's cool. finishing off projects, That's and cool. things. But um, yeah, the gig thing. The last gig I did was in October. Mm. <laughs> which was the opening of the Australian Women in Music Awards yeah. up in um, Brisbane, which was an amazing night. We had a great, yep. and it was really an eye opener to see the women that are working in industry. industry yep. on all levels, like uh, writing for screen really successfully and yep. in the States. And there was some phenomenal engineer, female engineers, people, we yep. don't, you know, they kind of go undetected. Yep. Um, so it was a really amazing yep. night.
0: Yeah, and what was, that was, uh, how do I pronounce that project name? Uh, the Australian
1: Women and Music. No, 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 the,
0: the project, the, the, sorry, the, your band, the band.
1: Oh, that was yeah. with, um, that was myself, yep. um, Queen G. Yep. Um, who's an amazing hip-hop artist and yep. MC. Yep. And then we worked with uh, Oyobi, yep. which is Vincent Sebastian, yep. Adam Ventura and Daniel Pliner. Yep. We got them to, to integrate all the them. We did a version of uh, an old song of mine that I, I seem to always sing that and nothing else around town lately.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, Meta, do you want to get up and sing Killer? Yeah. Okay. It's to the point where <laughs> when we're going to a wedding, my son says, what version of Killer are you singing at the wedding? <laughs> I'm like, can you just not? Yeah. Um, but it's, it's a good track. And it, so we did that. It was an appropriate track and it was requested by the producer of the show. Cool. So. Yeah. Yeah, we really went up and it was a great. We had a great time. That's really good. And the thing that's awesome is we only had to do one song, so we only had to hold it together for one song. And then it was party time. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's great. All right, let's um let's roll right back to your early beginnings. Um, from New Zealand. Yep. Uh, born in uh, Rotorua, is that right? Rotorua, yeah. Yep. yep. Um, and then you lived in Fakatani for a while,
1: yeah? Yeah, grew up in Fakatani. Yep. Yep. yep, it's a bit of a. I mean, out of Fakatani, there's been Cora, yep. have come Macy,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, Rikus yep. from Fakatani. Yep. Um, who else? I know I'm going to get a slap for getting. Fittimuckle uh, Black is out of Fakatani
0: yep. area. Yep,
1: you know. Um, so yeah, at one point when we were on the Barefoot Divas tour, it was me, Macy, and Fidimako. We were yep. all from Fakatani.
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah
1: yeah yeah it's quite funny but i grew up there and that area we always had a lot of gigs my dad was a musician and always had a band yep and so i got chucked in a band young yep and we played like for a little kind of at that time real one horse kind of small town in the eastern bay of plenty area but um it's weird in new zealand how the different sounds come out of the different areas That's, that's
0: right
1: yeah um I remember doing gigs around and noticing that as I started to move out of my local area when right. I was very young, right. but in that Eastern Bay Plenty area, there's kind of, in the local gigs that are available, in through the late 70s, 80s, 90s, it was a very hard rock, but blues rock sound that right. came out of there. Right. There was like a lot of monstrous guitarists, um, yep. oh god, Dave Hiakita is another. Yep. Well-known New Zealand guitarist yep. came out of that yep. Waimana area, yep. um, but yeah, you can hear that in the first Korra album. You can actually yep. hear that really, you know, that when they rock it, they it's really heavy. It's yep. a heavy rock, and you can absolutely hear the um, that sound that comes out of that area.
0: Yeah,
1: um, but we all grew up together, and we were our dads were in the bands were always in bands together. Yep, and so we all used to get babysat together, but we've not no babysitter sometimes (laughs) Um, yeah so and I yeah I just grew up in Whakatane we started recording I decided that I wanted to start writing music and we my dad believed me and um so he hired the local radio station every after hours for $15 an hour and let me go in the studio at about the age of 15 mm. and start writing really stink songs <laughs> that I thought were awesome, <laughs> and telling everyone what to play and where to play it with not really much idea. But yeah. um, but every weekend, I like right through high school, I was always gigging three, four nights a week.
2: Yeah. And
1: cool. by the time that by the time that we got to um, like third, uh, sorry, fourth, fifth form, I was touring a lot and working. You know, regionally through yep. New Zealand. Yep. Not big tours, mind you. Just like in Dad's shocking Toyota van. Gotcha, gotcha. All of us squashed up. Yep. Big van full of Māoris with a PA at the same time. Yep. Cruising around. Yep. And, um, yeah, we that was sort of the apprenticeship that went on and on. Yep. But eventually, we went and recorded at Tandy Studio in Hamilton. Mm-hmm because we thought we were too flash for one double X radio station at that point. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but we know, we seriously, we needed a proper studio. And these are the days when you recorded on tape. Yep. And then um, we, we did a record there that really, um, in Tandy's, it was just out of Hamilton. And that was a real big learning curve for me because it was proper engineers and everything. Yep. And then my dad decided he was a trade union delegate and he was working in Auckland. And so he decided while he was in Auckland to put a suit on and go around all the record companies and show them his daughter's mad album. (laughs) Which wasn't too, wasn't very good Mm. at all. Like I, yeah, I'd probably laugh if I listen to it now. Yeah, I um,
0: think everyone says that though about early stuff and I bet you it's not that bad.
1: Oh, I don't know. Anyway. No, no. But um, then I managed to get a record deal. Mm. He managed to get in the front door of... um, Of Pagan Records, which is the largest at the time, the largest independent out of New Zealand, and they had amazing bands on Pagan Records. Yep. So had a couple of releases with Pagan and a couple of um, uh, collaborations. I collaborated with the Straw People. Yep. And a few. I was listening uh, to that
0: song last night. Oh
1: my God! Shame.
0: That was that sound though. It was definitely that sound.
1: Well, that was what was in New Zealand at the time. Everyone was thinking they were a bit Massive Attack. Yeah, yeah. Which I've never really gotten over myself. Yeah, right. But um <laughs> I've always had a vibe for that yep. kind of production. But it was much more of an English sound, an English production sound that was coming out of New yep. Zealand at that time. Yep. Um, and was
0: is this when you did When You Leave?
1: Yeah, we when, did When You Leave. That yep. was after that wasn't so massive attacky. No, 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 that was that was <laughs> That was like a ballad. Yeah, I did When You Leave.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh Pagan put out that first record, which was great. Right. And then um Pagan at that time were distributed through Chrysalis and Chrysalis got bought out with EMI. EMI took over a lot of stuff in the early 90s. And um, so the dude from Australia, EMI Australia, the A&R guy came across to um, New Zealand to see what was on the roster in the stable at Pagan because they were quite diverse. I mean, they had that, What's the time Mr wolf? They had um, Mana. Was it Mana? Yeah, I think. And they had... They had the Nixons, they had the Greg Johnson set. They had a lot of some pretty cool stuff out of Dunedin. You Mm -hmm. know that Dunedin sound? Anyway, um, and then they were interested, um, EMI Australia was interested in myself and the Waratahs. Mm -hmm. The Waratahs was like a country band. Yep, yep. And so EMI then relocated me over to Sydney with Uh, my dad and the whole family. Yeah, I was going to
0: ask how you ended up.
1: Yeah, they relocated and I signed a, what's a five album deal at that time. Right. I never read it. Like, I had no idea what Uh was in it. Um, But I just thought, "Mad, I'm going to be like Madonna soon. Mad, I'm going to go America.
2: Yeah.
1: (laughs) um, Anyway, and then I moved to Sydney. We We got over here. We got housed. We started going in the studio at 301 and working on a few various projects. And they were sounding quite good. I was very happy with the sound. Um, it was more of a massive attack type kind of dark but big beats kind of sound. And then the guy that signed me at the time, his name was Neil Bradbury, he left EMI, he was the head of Mm A&R, and then he he passed away actually after that. And they didn't replace anybody in the A&R position for a good about a year. And then when, when they came in like after a year, an A&R person generally will will want to build their own relationships and develop their own talent. Yep. And so we got let go, we got dropped, and so did basically just about everyone, I think. They really cleared the decks. But it was one of the most fortunate things that could ever have happened to me. Right. uh, Because, I mean, no-one signs a five-album deal anymore. I heard of somebody um, being offered a five-album deal recently and I was just like, oh, my God, because when you actually... Think about it. Five albums is 20 years of your life. Yeah. And as an artist, even if you have a really successful first album in a small territory like Australia and New Zealand, you might have a really successful first album and the whole company's, like, buzzing about you and they really promote you. The second album might not be so hot. It might be someone new. And you've still got to actually sell your product to the company to promote you. In those days, it's all very different now. Yep. Like, we're talking early 90s. Yep. Yep. Um, so it can be really hard and a lot of artists that signed those sort of old school deals, you just never get out of them. Mm. But fortunately, we didn't actually get to release anything with EMI. Yeah, right. And um, we were just about to. We'd actually filmed a video clip um, and it was amazing, it was all on. And I thought, yee And then when they, um, when, when they decided not to continue, because I had a minimum release clause in my contract, which right. meant they had to have released something, before they could recoup anything.
2: Right,
0: so, so, we didn't so, really so under- would that have meant a single?
1: A single, if the single had
0: gone out for even you. one
1: day, I would have been in the hole to them for probably about, I think they spent about 90 grand at that point. Wow. Because that was the days when record companies, you, it was just at the end of the era where you got into heaps of debt with your yep. record company so that they would have to really work to make you break even. Yep. <laughs> and <Yep>. that's, <laughs> but those, that was a long time ago and it's a completely different
0: industry now.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, so yeah fortunately I was able to walk away they retained all the recordings that we'd done not a problem
0: how'd you feel at the time though? (laughs)
1: Um, I didn't really understand what was going on the whole time I was very young bro and very green Yep. very green Um, in the same process as when I same period of time when I signed with EMI I also signed my publishing to a company called Lunacy Works Music and I didn't even know what I was signing when I signed it Right. Uh, I went to Auckland for a meeting with these fellas, flash fellas, I thought, and um, they gave me a cappuccino. I'd never had a cappuccino before. Mm. And then when they pulled out the papers and said, right, is everyone ready to sign? I guess this is a done deal. I just had no idea we were signing anything that day. And then I said, well, can I just get another one of those flash coffees? <laughs> and they bought me one, I, I scolded it, and then I just signed it. And on oh, that shit. moment, I signed my publishing away for 13 years, oh, almost 13 years. Oh. And in that time I had music used in, music I'd written used in uh, national uh, TV commercials in a movie that went in through 28 countries.
0: Was that Once, yeah, once Warriors? Yeah, I had
1: music on Once for Warriors, yeah. it went through 28 I had a number of things. I never, and you got nothing for that? Never got a cent. At some point when I got, a, oh this oh, is, man. at some point I, um, when we got over here after a few years here, I, we went and got, engaged a lawyer and spent about 1800 bucks right. trying to recover that money. Yep. But I've actually recouped in a small way. I mean, not what, not what the money that I probably owed. but um, right. I've actually used that story to speak to a lot of other young women and a lot of young aspiring artists, particularly artists that are marginalised, Aboriginal um, artists, um, Indigenous artists, and just said to them, this is the dumb shit that happens. You know, be aware. Yeah, <laughs> be aware (laughs) so and then I was in Sydney um and sort of had to had to hustle and so I used to work a lot out of a studio that was in Surrey Hills called in Cooper Lane called um Skylab was there for quite a while Mm -hmm. I'm sure a number of people listening probably know that studio and he was a really good mate of mine the guy that owned it Mm -hmm. and used to give me heaps of session work and because I just had to hustle then then I had no deal no nothing
0: so that session work was that on um it was on people's albums and jingles and just everything. Yeah, mainly just people's whatever. projects and people's projects. albums. Yep. Yeah, yep. I think
1: I've worked on Errol Renards, Errol yep. one of his albums. Yep. It, was, it was a good learning curve because you got to work on all this different stuff and really yep. hone your studio skills yep. and get really quick. And, yep. and at one point I produced a track um, for an artist that was in development for festival before they... And that was that was interesting. Yep. And then I just sort of gigged around a bit. Yep. Uh, not too much, really, um, because eventually I started gigging a lot harder when I got a bit older. Yep. Because I was really young, you know, and I had right.
2: a kid. And, yep.
1: But I continually wrote music. I always wrote music. I, I used to, There's a church in Rose Bay and they I conned them into giving me the key because I had no piano to write on, no piano, nothing. So I would go over and use the church Oh, that's cool. And I wrote quite a few songs there that I then sold on to other people <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> eventually. Yeah. Um, I worked with a guy called John Simmons, who's in a project called Critchley Simmons. He, um, he does more like electronica and stuff because I've always gravitated a bit towards that.
2: Yep.
1: What? Um, and we had a project, more of a studio project we didn't really play live a lot but we had a more of a studio project that um, called Eureka and we we managed to we did about 40 tracks 30 40 tracks and we ended up we um, sold all of them to a company in New York called Love Love Cat Music
0: so we it's a sell. bit of a payday <laughs> yeah yeah so is it, is it that uh, are you selling the tracks out right so no,
1: no,
0: you, no, 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 So you still get some publishing? Time? Yeah, we get yeah, publishing. Yeah, yeah, I'm still okay. earning.
1: You still earn off them, but you assign right. it. Yeah, you assign it. Gotcha.
0: Right, okay. I'm curious yeah. how that all works.
1: And, um, yeah, and then out of there, i worked with different... Just worked a lot in studios, different producers, working in different capacities in a studio. Yep. And then... Um, then from there, I started working a lot with DJs. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of DJ gigs um, when I was gigging hard in Sydney. Right. I used to do it. There was a lot of my bread and butter. Yeah. And there was a whole scene and it was it yeah. was really cool. Like, it was more creative.
0: It was a cool scene. Yeah.
1: It was cool because, like, it was actual improvisation. Now a lot of the DJ gigs, not to throw shade on anyone, but it, it's, become a li- it's become a lot more commercial. Yes, it's not true. like that deep main room moment where... Yep. Everyone's mind's open, and you've got someone improvising.
0: Exactly.
1: So yeah, I did a lot of those gigs, um, and I worked. I had Graham Andrewlis, who's quite a well-known DJ, um, older, older of the old school, yep. Sydney old school, and I, and um, I worked a lot with Stephen Orkins, Kate Monroe, and a few others, yep, yep. and. Graham used to help, help me a lot in my career, and manage me, and he actually brokered a deal for me to be published by ABC, which was quite advantageous. And off the back of that, I've sold quite a few tracks into different, placed different tracks and had a lot of opportunity um, co-writing with different people. And, but I kind of kept it being a bit of a, always being a bit of a hoary. <laughs> that, that hoary gene doesn't yeah. go anywhere. Um, <laughs> It's, you know, I'm a bit of a slow grower. I think I've probably still got my best music in me that I'm that's awesome. that I'm to write. Mm. Um, yeah, I worked a lot. I started working in the Latin scene a lot. Yeah. That's, um, that's a funny story because I was really broke with my son and basically almost homeless and just needed gigs bad. And um, it a well-known, I don't know, maybe you did. Did you do a podcast with Portionard? Art? no. Okay, he's a great um, French-Canadian guy but based here and a great musician and a right. sax player. And um, he basically gave me a heap of gigs, which was very nice because <laughs> I had no money, no right. nothing. And, um, and he said to me, can you sing in Spanish? And I thought, oh, it sounds a bit like Māori. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sweet. Yeah, no worries. Okay, I want to book you for New Year's Eve. Oh, yeah. man, where's the gig? Oh, it's at the opera house, at the opera bar. I was like, oh, that, that'll probably be quite big and so it gives me the repertoire to learn and it's all in Spanish and Portuguese most of it and um, so of course being a hoary I went to the beach and didn't really learn it until like three days before when I freaked out um, the discipline of you know you can be quite undisciplined and get by on your natural talent but you know, yep
0: but not for very long. And no, no, beyond. no. You get you get shown up real quick, eh? Yeah.
1: yeah. And so, yeah. So I learned that as best I could. I managed to get through the gig. Everyone was happy. Seemed happy, and then they asked me to join their band, which was called Matanza. And then I started really moving in and mixing a lot, with um, you know, with other Latin bands and other Latin musicians, and and really, really grew to love that genre like just the harmonic universe and the rhythmic stuff and I was I remember as a child always being really fascinated with a lot of that music and yep. you just didn't hear it in New Zealand like yep. you'd hear it on a car commercial or something in the TV yep. and you'd go what was that and then that was the end of that but um then I went you know really studied it and then I sort of started getting gigs singing in African singing in French mm. singing in different languages five
0: and, languages yeah yeah, a, five or, or sometimes
1: seven. Yeah, oh, seven languages. <laughs> but I don't speak those languages. Right, I got you. But I'm very careful um, that I I respect and I know the context sure. and exactly what I'm seeing. And but and in particular the social political context of of songs
2: mm-hmm.
1: before I um, sing them. Because can you imagine if you're somewhere and someone that doesn't speak Maori is singing a full Maori waiata and just you get the shits mm. and it's other people's oh. art form mm-hmm. and you have to be really respectful of that. Yep. So I've always been really respectful of that and I think that's a good way to approach it and then you learn more and people open up more. And... Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So, yeah, it's... I mean, there's heaps of stuff I'm probably leaving out, but...
2: <laughs> oh, we'll you try, haven't got we'll a five-hour
1: find... podcast no. have you,
0: <laughs> <laughs> We'll try to find a way back to that stuff. Now, who have your musical influences been? Early date, like... Who are your sort of early singing influences?
1: Um, I mean, I've always loved a lot of, I've always gravitated obviously towards singers, yep. but I've always been really into the whole, the holistic yep. sound of everything. Okay. So I was really heavily in, influenced by people like uh, like Hendrix, Isaac Hayes, as a kid grew up listening to a lot of that stuff, mm-hmm. a lot of really obscure stuff, a lot of stuff off the Stax label. Yep. Um, just heaps of black music yeah. as a child, yep. and and a lot of like rock and stuff like that. Yep. Um, and then really heavily got into all the kind of the kind of sound that was coming out of England, the drum and bass stuff and the acid jazz stuff that was before that. Yep. And I think there's only two kinds of music, bro. It's like good music and stink music. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> <It's> yeah,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> um, but I spent a good decade being a full Latin head. Yep. And I still am, I still, I really dig the Latin thing mm. and the way they organise music and, right. and just, it's beautiful. Yeah. yeah, It's one of the reasons that I don't think I could go back to New Zealand yeah, if right. enough Latino musicians there yeah. to play with, right. you know.
0: right. I mean yeah. the scene may have changed a bit. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, there's a few Brazilians there now, I noticed. Right, okay. Mm. Um, Barefoot Divas.
1: Yeah, that was an amazing um, project. Yep. That grew out of uh, some money we got for a thing called Sing Out Sister. We did a show at the Brisbane Powerhouse with um, five, five or six of us, Indigenous women artists. It was like myself, Nairi, Emma Donovan. Um, Macy wasn't in that one at that stage. Um, there was a couple of other women. And then we actually went to Vanuatu and played at Fest Napuan which is a big festival they have there. We were some of the first women to ever play on that stage because generally it was always men that played right. there. Um,
0: that would have been a pretty special time, eh?
1: It was mad, but we didn't know. Like, this is another cautionary say, did... tale yeah. for young... I, I get to Vanuatu because, of course, being a hori I never read the emails or do anything. I get to Vanuatu and then I said to the guy that was looking after us, "When, where do I send my invoice, bro? <laughs> and he goes, oh, no, this is a... There's no payment for the gig. And I turned to Nairi, I said, sis, there's no money. We stuck here for two weeks with no money. She goes, oh, yeah, I thought about
2: that. <laughs> oh. Oh, <laughs> and super. anyway,
1: and then the band that was from PNG, it was part of Tribes of Jubal Band, they realised they weren't getting paid either and it all got a bit ugly. But not at the people organising the festival. We all had great respect for the Tanga Fenua and the people, but for... The other fella that yep. was doing the hustle in the middle, mm. I'm sure he was getting paid from somewhere.
2: Right.
1: <laughs> but it was an amazing two weeks yep. in the islands, mixing you know mixing it up with all the local people, meeting some of those artists that that work out of there, Vanessa Kwai and her family and mm. some of those other people.
2: Yeah.
1: And then we actually went and did workshops um, on an island, Santiago, uh, that's just off Vanuatu. Mm-hmm. And we went and did a whole lot of workshops with all these young girls, um, songwriting workshops and stuff. And it was amazing, yeah,
0: it's amazing. Um, because
1: they they had never, usually the boys would just, would dominate the learning environment yep. all the time. And so we insisted that we just wanted to teach, work with the girls. We were happy to work with the boys at another time, but just, and they were amazing. And the boys were all good with that? Yeah, well, they didn't yeah. really have a choice. Yeah, yeah. And that was just me and Emma did that. We had a great time. Yeah, so then out of that came the Barefoot Divas. Right. And that was very much um, Vicky Gordon. Vicki Gordon is a, um, is a tireless worker for putting women's stories on the stage.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, she's been in the scene for about 30 years. She's one of the only women ever elected to the Board of ARIA. Um, she, she, yeah, she's a bit of a powerhouse hustler and gets things done, like mm. pulls things over the line. She's mm. basically the brains behind the Australian Women in Music Awards. Right. And she um, put Barefoot Divas together and brought in Alana Valentine, who is an award-winning playwright, mm-hmm. and she developed the script. And yeah, we developed the show for yep. Sydney Festival with Fitty Muckle Black, Macy Ricker, Ursula Jovich, Emma Donovan, and me, hang on, am I forgetting? And Nairie. Mm-hmm. And Nairie, mm-hmm. yeah. And so we did the Sydney Festival at Carriage Works. Yep. It went really well. And then um, after that, Vic went off to New York and sold. There's some big thing they have in New York every year where all of the main festival bookers and venue bookers for major venues throughout America go to this trade fair, essentially. Right. And if you get invited to go, you go up and you sell your show. So they're
0: trading shows? Yeah, uh, you present
1: your show. You get 20 minutes on stage, that's it. Right. And that year Vicky got to go to to promote us and our show because she'd put together a package. And and the other one was Bangara. Mm -hmm. And sister got up there and hustled and came out of that with a tour. We did a North American, Canadian, and Hawaiian tour. Oh, man. Off the back of that, and it was amazing. What
0: year, what year was that? Oh,
1: God, I'm old now. I think 2014, 2014. Oh, yeah. And one of the things with the Barefoot Divas that we instituted from the beginning is that wherever we go, we do outreach. We do the gig, but we do outreach and workshops, oh, and wow. we offer that to marginalised communities in that area. That's so good. Yeah, so when we went to the States, we went to Oakland in California, and we, which is a very depressed. Like we think we've got povo areas here. now. Even, yeah. <laughs> well, at least, you know, it's very hard to climb out of that,
2: mm-hmm.
1: at least here. It's still difficult, but it's not that difficult. <laughs> um, so we did, a, we did workshops with um, young mothers aged 14 to uh, 17 or 18 um, who were, had their kids in care and they were um, finishing their high school, but in this alternative program, not at a high school. And a lot of undocumented young women, all black and Hispanic, mm. and the most beautiful babies you ever seen. But we went and did workshops with them, and it was a beautiful experience. Mm. And we did the same thing in Hawaii, and we did the same thing in Canada with Indigenous mob mm. in Canada. And it was, it was great. Sounds
0: pretty special. Here, it's yeah. special,
1: and it's it's an opportunity also to develop workshops and interventions and things that you know, musical create, bring creativity to different communities.
0: Could you see, could you see you making the difference?
1: Yeah, well we got letters back from the social workers that work with those girls to say that it had, had a huge impact oh, on them wow. and we didn't do anything flash, like we we literally went in there with a band, we had with us, um, the band at that time was um, Steve was on drums, my husband Steve Martin, we had Adam Ventura on bass, with Percy Robinson on guitars, an amazing guitarist that's in Melbourne. Uh, Daniel Pleiner was on keys. I hope I get this right, it's a lot a few years ago. And we just took a band in and played tracks with them and spoke with them and just told them how precious they were and that we could see them, we recognised them and to, you know, and I think that environment and that it's so hard, it's so, it's so tough and it's just to have someone be a bit nice to you and have a band in the room yeah. <laughs> was sort of enough just to give them a breather, man. Yeah, right. Yeah, and we got them singing with us and mm. they actually learnt a Māori song. Right. Before we went and when we went in to do the workshop, they greeted us with a Māori song. I think they sang Mehe Manurere. Oh, man. And we were like, whoa.
0: <laughs> do, you, do you hear anything of how they're doing now?
1: No, I'm I'm still in contact with a couple of the young women on Facebook. We still chat, see each other, and they seem to be doing all right. That's great. Yeah. Mm. But, I mean, you know, now they're all living in Trump's America, so, and they're on the bottom, so, you know. Oh, man. You know, you can, thoughts and prayers, Mm. (laughs) you know. Mm. Mm.
0: So any future plans for the Barefoot Divas?
1: Uh, Not at this stage. Yep. Um, At the moment, I think it's sort of pivoting towards this Barefoot um, oh. Barefoot, but that Barefoot Brothers thing is not my project. I yep. was asked to consult, but that's sure. something that they're developing. But it, it it looked amazing the day that they got to work on it, It's quite exciting.
0: Yep. How much of your time these days are you putting into songwriting and composing?
1: Quite a lot, but you have to be really ninja about it and just What, fight. what did you say, ninja? Yeah, you have to be a ninja <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, you've got to... I mean, the system that we all live in and with the state of rent in the city that we live in, you know, everyone's got to make a pay all the time. Yep. And so you're time poor because you've got to hustle and make a living. I'm fortunate in that what I do for a living um, aligns with my political and social values. And so I'm not really Perfect. complaining, but it's yep. still time consuming. So I ride in the car, in the shower, yep. hanging out the washing, in the middle of the night, yep. on the back steps. Mm. But... What I've actually noticed is I actually get more done than when I was playing and playing all the time.
0: Yeah.
1: Because you kind of, you're so hungry, you're more hungry right. for it.
0: gotcha. Because yeah. yeah. Mm. So I'm you, writing a lot. Yeah, because yeah, you, read, you read a lot too, don't you?
1: Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm always yeah. No, that's <laughs> trying cool. to expand the mind a little bit. Yeah. But I've been working for the last sort of 18 months with an um, MD called Andrew Warboys. Mm-hmm who does amazing, uh, does a lot of edgy kind of theatre and stuff like that, puts on productions at the Hayes and tours. He was Last year he was touring internationally with another artist, but works much more in the theatre world.
0: Right, so you're you're writing to that? Um,
1: That, that I started writing a theatre piece, but it it became very um, clear that it was actually, it's actually probably going to be an album first. So we're just sort of in the... We just sort of finished the blueprint of that and so start working on the album this year right. in, in earnest and really,
2: mm.
0: yeah. Now, um, this just popped into my head then because my kids, they love The Greater Showman. It's their favourite all-time show and favourite musical and they listen to all the music and is there more demand to write musicals well, there's and a thriving... shows based on the, the sort of the fame that that
1: Oh, I think it was before that. Like, that's okay. just something that's filtered through. And, okay. and But people, there's, like, with the Hayes mm-hmm. Theatre, there's been some phenomenal shows mm-hmm. um, piloted there, and they'll try things and take a risk on things. Like, right. the heights that's about to go into the Opera House now it was started in the Hayes right. Theatre. And, right. um, and there is kind of a, I'm noticing, like, you don't notice it as a giga when you're gigging around and that kind of thing. But there is actually a thriving theatre scene yep. in Australia. Right. I mean, I wouldn't say thriving, but, you know, there's people, it supports a lot of people and people are able to get shows up and running off consulted on a few shows. And mm. um, so that was the initial plan was to write this theatre piece. And I, it probably still will be a theatre piece eventually, but it's just prohibitively expensive to, to start from that point. So right. you're better just to get the tracks out. Right um so but that's much more of a um it's a labor of love I guess but it's it's I've I've decided that I I was never one to play a lot of commercial material I would always go and do gigs and play my originals and just
0: yep at at the gigs at gigs like I
1: find what I used to get away with is if you put a track a cover in every three or four songs or every couple of songs to give them a point of reference in the set oh this is what we're this is the vibe something they can recognise, yeah. I'd get away with it. Like, yeah. we, when we when we went to Macau with Veneno. We went and did contracts there, and we yeah. were there for, like, six months at a time, three mm-hmm. months at a time. Mm-hmm. They, well, I don't know, we played all the Veneno originals. We yeah. played all of my, we do, like, a whole set of my originals in the middle of the game. Yeah. Like, I don't know if casino, ba- like, playing in a casino, essentially, beautiful theatre, state of the art, but it's still a casino. Like, who gets away Right. I can't believe we got away with that. Yeah. So this project has is, um, is got more of a political focus to it. Mm. And I really think as artists, yeah. you get to a point where you get tired of writing, hey, Johnny, I love you songs. <laughs> and I think that um, as an artist, it's important to reflect your times. And we're in some interesting times.
0: Yeah. Mm. So
1: this project is very much in that vein. Right. Um, the working title for that project is the human
0: condition. The human condition.
1: Yep. Yeah, that's the that's the um, working title for it at the moment.
0: Yep. Uh, anything else on the horizon, music-wise?
1: Um, oh, this year I'm just focusing mainly on getting this record together. I'm yep. hoping it to get it to get it together in the first uh, sorry in the second quarter of two thousand nineteen. Yep. Um, and um, and through my through my work in the refugee sector and also working in the, um, I work a lot in disability entrepreneurship. Mm. Um, I've got some really interesting podcasts and things like that that I'm kind of producing and being right. involved in. That's cool. So um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting creative year.
0: That's good.
1: But it's a lot more disciplined than it was 10 years ago. got right. a proper job now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. You've grown up now. Proper grown up yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah. got Reggio on the car and everything. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I think that's, rather than going gig around everywhere, because, look, for for singers, I think it's particularly for singers if you're thinking of coming out with your own project and something like, if you're out everywhere gigging all the time, and everyone sees you all the time then you come out with the original stuff it can be a hard thing to convince the local audience Got to you. to listen to you whereas you know if you can generate income in another way yep. and quietly do your work in the background and then just come out when you're ready i think is a better yeah and then you save your voice your voice doesn't get damaged and tired because mm. we've all a lot of us singers have had issues i mean i was gigging something 13 14 gigs in a week and you know, I remember once doing two gigs at once, booked myself so hungus to get the money to pay to rent. Right. That I had a gig at Tatler's and simultaneously across the road a gig at Trademark. And I knew it, and I booked them both, and I sung one set at Tatler's, ran across the road, oh, sung no, another shit. set at Trademark, ran across the road to another <laughs> set there, and I'd had a corporate earlier in the day. I don't think at that point the quality of anyone's performance is really there. Right. You're just sort of having a drink at that point to keep happy and yep. who knows what was going on on the mic, you right. know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and, um <laughs> and so, yeah, you, the, for singers, um, gigging heavily locally can, can be, you know, can be a worry. Yep. Vocally. Yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that's, a, that's an um, important point. Yeah, and a lot yeah. of the
1: gigs that I would rely on and are all gone now too, a right. lot of them. Like 50 clubs closed.
2: Mm.
1: And I, I was unashamed. I enjoyed the club stuff as well with a good DJ, like a creative DJ. Someone like Kate Munro who does really interesting shit like mixes and tracks of like Miriam Makeba and really interesting artists in with like really heavy beats. And it's like two o'clock in the morning in the main room and everyone's losing their mind and it's really heavy and tribal. And it's a beautiful environment to to sing in and to improvise in and bring the crowd together. And, but that sort of has become much more commercial now and you have to really look for that. Whereas that was kind of the norm. There were so many little venues and clubs and Yeah, but now it's sort of we've got our big building side of a city now.
0: Yeah, (laughs) isn't it like that?
2: Mm. Yeah.
0: Well, Medanir, that was fantastic chatting with you today. Yeah, Um, hope I
1: haven't raved on. No, 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 not at all. No,
0: no, no, that's all good. The editing will probably be my my um, my dumb greatest showman question. (laughs) (laughs) After I asked that question, I went, "What are you saying?"
1: Oh, it's got huge appeal, though.
0: No, no. I think what I was trying to say, probably what I was meant to say, or what I was saying, I guess there seems to be more attention, possibly, on theatre now.
1: Mainstream, yeah. Because
0: a show like that's maybe brought it to the
1: And Mary Poppins. Oh, yeah, true. Mary Poppins. See, Disney and that. Well, if you look at Mm. all the old Disney movies, like all the kids' stuff they do, they basically all are like musical theatre, like even yeah. Frozen and yeah, stuff yeah, like that. Course, yeah. And they always have their big tunes the and big it's just tunes, music yeah. theatre but a cartoon on the movies, you know. Yeah, right.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: and that formula has an appeal. Yeah. And you don't always have to do Peace, Love and Rainbows and Mary Poppins kind of shows. You can do some really edgy and interesting theatre and there's been a fair bit of that coming out of Sydney. Yeah, and right. we've got some really competent theatre musicians Right, and, and just some, we've actually got really world-class musicians.
0: Yeah, I'm chasing them.
1: And um, we're very fortunate, and particularly in the Latin scene where it's yeah. spoiled too. There's yeah. some phenomenal yeah. players. Mm. Yeah. And even and, he, and like people like Errol, um, you know, they're, they're legit at yeah. what they do. They're legit on their art form.
0: Yep. Well, and keeps, they, them pl- keeps them playing.
1: Well, I remember him yeah. saying to me, you know, you might get a, when I was really young, him mm-hmm. say to me, you might get a break and it might work out and it might not work out. And if it doesn't work out, you still have your music in you and you still have your talent and it has to come through you. Yeah. And I was like listening, I was only young. I was like 19 in the studio just listening to the guru. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: I've yeah.
1: Always, I mean, that's one thing. I think I've always been able to recognise when there's a really good teacher in the room yeah, and to good. shut shut the mouth and listen for a minute. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Great. All right, thank you so much. Okay. Um, yeah, look forward to um, hopefully seeing you gigging sometime and can't wait to hear your album. Yeah,
1: I think it's going to be about the album yep, um, yep. initially. There's a lot of pre-production and stuff to yep. happen and then... It'll be after that. Yeah, right. I'm actually, um, on this album, going to be collaborating with uh, Queen G. Yep. It's going to be collaborating on quite a few tracks. Yep. She's, she's really fun to perform with and a formidable, uh, a formidable spoken mm. word artist. And I think the other thing I noticed with her is her, not only the integrity of the lyric is really strong mm. and we're on the same page politically, but um, she's actually very musical.
0: Yep. Yeah. Mm. Do you think she'd chat?
1: Oh, she'd yeah. She'd love to chat. Cool. She'd tell you all about the old scene back in yeah, the day, or
0: yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that kind of scene.
0: Right.
1: Yeah. That she'd be more than happy to chat. Great. But yeah, there's some there's there's some amazing people around. Yeah,
0: sure is. Sure is. Awesome. Thanks, Melanie. Yeah. Okay, thank you for Cheers. having me. No, sweet as. Thank you. I all hope right. I didn't rave like no, no, an auntie. All good. No, sweet ass loved it. <laughs> yeah. right.
1: Do a bit of an edit, bro. No, we'll no, just... only,
0: only me, only edit me out. No. Oh. no. Well, it's
1: probably out of sync now because we talked about different things. Doesn't matter. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah no one gives a fuck. No. <laughs> 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 all
2: right. That's right. Oh, I, oh, I, oh, I never do it right, but you can't feel my words. You never see me shake my culo like an African bird. No, say I but you can't feel my words. You will feel my words. You can't feel my words. Oh, This one for the workers and the people in migration This one for my brothers take on the corporations This one for the mothers and the daughters in the front line Trying to raise their babies while they're standing in the breadline. line This one for the children on the streets of Palestine Occupied, dodging all their bullets and running for their lives this one for the Noma Maricuri Polynesians. Because we still stand strong despite indoctrination, race relation, separation, sublimation, denigration, manipulation, victimization. This one going be killer, this one gonna be killer, this one coming at y'all, killer, no filler. Killer. It's gonna be killer, what? it's dedicated to all of my sisters. This one's gonna be killer, what? it's gonna be killer. See, Ventura, all killer, no filler. Like Vicente Semba, all killer, no filler. See, Danielito, all killer, no filler. Just like Melania, all
3: killer, no filler. Now, Queen all killer, no filler. This one gonna bring a revolution This one gonna bring a solution This one for the children Stop targeting teens Supposed to build them Death in custody Children Refugee children Unarmed children Stolen children Still living in times Publicly publishing, publishing crimes Laws designed i stop right there Those who dare to care Get in silence Another form of violence It's Time for alignment Must realize this Amongst the niceness There is crisis Bodies paying prices We are all responsible this is not unsolvable, love. I got your back, love. You got my back, love. Vibing with my tribe in line. Flow with the signs to be the leaders, the peace believers. Must get justice. This one gon be killer, queen and Melania. Yeah, So this one gon be killer. This one for the fearless, this one for the realest, this one for the healers Hear us roar for the ones who came before This one for the first and many firsts, yes we're breaking the curse, diverse and well-versed This one for the art to kill eight, articulate, formulate, blossoming beautiful Put it in the musical, decolonize failure. breaking barriers in all areas yes. This one gonna be killer, it's gonna be killer, it's coming at y'all killer, no
2: Gonna be killer, it's gonna be killer, it's dedicated to all of my sisters. Whoa. This one gonna be killer, what? It gonna be killer, what? it's coming at y'all, killer, no filler.